Yeah, I am really excited to be able to share with you guys today. And um, I'm actually really quite humbled to, to be able to do it. And so I'm just going to start us off in prayer as well, because I just realizing that even if I communicate everything exactly perfectly, I'm still 100% dependent on the Holy Spirit to reveal truth. Um, and so I'm just going to pray for that and pray for that for us and pray for that for me. Um, yeah. So uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you, you don't need me, but you choose to use me and you choose, um, you choose to give me opportunities to, to learn and then to share the things that I've learned that you teach me. And um, thank you for your son. And I just pray that everything would glorify him and point to him. And Holy Spirit, I am completely dependent on you. We are completely dependent on you to reveal your truth to us. And so we just ask that you would move powerfully in this time and to speak to our hearts what you want to speak to us. Um, would you guard my, my mind and guard my mouth from saying anything that isn't true and anything that isn't from you. Uh, and we submit this to you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, so I decided what I was going to talk about this week. I decided that about four or five weeks ago. <laughs> and uh, the week that I had said, like, Alan, I think this, this is, you know, I've been thinking about this and praying about this. This is what I really like to talk about. Um, and what I would love to talk about is uh, humility. <laughs> and that week, which was four Sundays ago, even though it feels like 500 years ago, Laura Campbell, who is the lead pastor at the West End Church, did a sermon on humility. <laughs> and so as I was sitting there and listening to her give this very well thought out, beautifully communicated, scripturally sound sermon on humility, all of a sudden I started to worry. <laughs> I started to get afraid. I started to get self-conscious and she did such a good job. So, um, before I get into that, I just want to, for those of you who weren't able to come to, to that sermon, it's well worth a listen, but I'm going to summarize her entire sermon into one sentence. And uh, she was trying to reform our, our understanding of what true biblical humility actually is. And the summary of that is that humility is having a right understanding of who God is so that we have a right understanding of who we are in light of who he is and our place in his kingdom. Um, so she did an excellent job. And like I said, I was sitting there and, you know, I had just said, like, I think this is really what, what I'd like to give a sermon on. And, um, and I was sitting there thinking, she is literally just saying everything that I was going to say in a sermon. And then fear and insecurity crept in. And I started thinking, well, mine has to be better than that. I have to do better than that. And then, but then there's all these like other questions that come up, questions about, about value that when fear comes, then pride comes right alongside. And then I, I have all of these questions of value of if my message isn't as impactful as Laura's, is it worth anything at all? Should I just quit now? Should I just change my whole sermon? Should I like, do I even have anything worth sharing? And if I do, I need to prove that I'm worth listening to. I need to be impressive. But then if anyone compliments me, then I need to shut that down because then that's pride. But really in my heart, I'll be like, oh yeah, I totally smoked Laura, which is bananas because Laura is one of my closest friends. And all of a sudden, I've, there's all this pride and jealousy and fear and insecurity that's starting to divide me and my friend because I'm comparing myself to her. 
And during this season, like that was just, that was four weeks ago. But now like, you know, I live with two doctors and thinking is anything that I have to offer is it as good as what they have to offer? Like, should I just quit now? You know, should I just just throw my hands up in the air and say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing what that person is doing, so I'm not, I'm not good enough. Um, like, you know, how can I, like, if I'm not an essential worker, then does it, do I matter at all? You know, if the world can keep running without me, if I can just stay in my house for three months and nobody even notices, then what, what does that say about me? And humility and pride have so much to do with our understanding of our own value and purpose. And these questions that we have, that, we, that are residing really deep inside of us, start with who am I and am I valuable? So as with most things, and by most things I mean everything in the church, a good place to start is looking at Jesus. And how does he answer these questions for himself? So we are about to start, well, today is the start of Holy Week, uh, which is the last week of Jesus's life. And so it starts today with Palm Sunday. And then there are some significant events that happen from now until, um, until next Sunday when uh, Jesus dies on Friday and is risen, uh, resurrected from the dead on Easter Sunday. So um, today we're gonna talk about humility and how Jesus is, is humble and that he doesn't change. He doesn't change from Palm Sunday to Maundy Thursday to Good Friday to Easter Sunday. He's still the same guy. He's still a humble king and a humble servant. Um, so we're going to start with uh, Palm Sunday, which is today, and then we're going to hit on Maundy Thursday, and then we're going to kind of tease those things out. So Today is Palm Sunday, which in all of the Gospels is entitled the Triumphal Entry. So in Roman times, a triumphal entry would be a conquering general who's just won a massive victory and he's parading back into town and like an actual parade, like people are throwing flowers everywhere. You can just smell it. The crowds are just everywhere and they're cheering and shouting because they won. That king was victorious and like he's the champion and, and what that means for the people. And they're shouting these victory cries. And, and that's what the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, is described as in the Bible, a triumphal entry. So let's take it to where's Jesus coming from. So Jesus and his disciples before today had been kind of laying low. They were kind of out on the outskirts because the, the government was worried about um, like upheaval and the Pharisees who were the leaders of the Jewish people, the religious leaders, they were also worried about that. And so Jesus and his disciples have been kind of laying low. Um, but while they're laying low, they, uh, they, catch wind that one of Jesus's very good friends, Lazarus, is sick. And Jesus waits, knowing what's going to happen. He waits, and then he, when he comes to visit Lazarus and his two sisters, they find that Lazarus has been dead for days. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And then from that point, this is a massive deal. Like him raising Lazarus from the dead is a big deal. And a lot of people start following Jesus because of this. They're like saying like, okay, I think this is the guy. I think this is the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. I think this is him. And so then from that point, he's coming into Jerusalem. 
And so all of these scriptures are starting to be like starting to click and people are seeing like, you know, these scriptures that they've been reading their whole lives and being taught in the synagogues. They're saying like a lot of these scriptures seem to be being fulfilled in Jesus. And I mean, there's some that they didn't even recognize yet that were going to be fulfilled. And so they are ready. Like they are throwing a parade for Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem for their uh, Passover feast, which everyone goes to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate this. It's a big, big, massive feast and massive celebration for everyone. And they're throwing a parade because they're like, this is the guy we have been waiting centuries for this. And this is the guy like he's going to free us. He's going to overthrow the government. He's going to free us. We're not going to be oppressed anymore. And they're shouting, they're shouting these victory cries. So what's going through their minds are, are verses like Zechariah 9, 9, which are rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion shout aloud. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your King is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus is being received with the shouts of a conquering king because all of these signs that they're seeing and they're starting to add up say that he is the Messiah. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders say, Jesus, you got to shut it down, like shut it down. Like, do you hear what they're saying about you? But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to shut it down because even if the people would stop, stop shouting, like even if my disciples would stop saying these things, the rocks would cry out. So when, when we kind of take scope of this, it's kind of like, well, how can that be humility? How can, how can that, how can him like receiving praise like this, how can that be humble? Um, so if you look at it as like the people are saying that he's king, like, yeah, that is, that is hard to reconcile, but Jesus knows who he is. It's not because he himself is saying, look at me, look at me. I'm, I'm the king. I'm the king now. It's because the scriptures have been prophesying about him. It's because his father in heaven has told him who he is. God has thundered from heaven several times at this point to say who Jesus is, that he is his beloved son who's he, with whom he's well pleased, that this is my son. Listen to him. So Jesus God is telling Jesus who he is, who Jesus is, and Jesus submits to him to let him. So Jesus in John chapter eight says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. And again, in John chapter 10, he says, I told you and you don't believe. I told you who I am and you don't believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. So it's not about Jesus building himself up. It's about God telling Jesus who he is. And then we've got the people. And it's not about the people either. It's not about the people telling Jesus that he's king. It's about God fulfilling prophecy and Jesus being obedient and saying yes every step of the way. So in John chapter 2, the people tried to make Jesus king already. Like this is, this is not the first time that the people have tried to say like, this is the guy, let's make him king. But in John chapter two, it says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew about, he knew all about people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So they, they have the wrong understanding of what's going on here. They're cheering him on, but I mean, 
not in not even a week, they're going to completely change their tune and they're going to they're going to kill him. So it's not about the people. It's not about them saying, OK, well, the world tells me that this is who I am. Um, they he's not going to be king by overthrowing a physical government. Jesus is living in the reality of what is to come on Easter when he overthrows death and the world and sin and the enemy. He's king in eternity. And God has told him who he is, and he's living the reality of that already. So Jesus is submitting in, hu in humble obedience to the Father, to live in who the Father has said that he is. Obedience that's going to lead him to his death by the end of the week. So let's be clear, it would be a whole lot easier for Jesus to accept what men say about him and be an earthly king with earthly glory. And that's one of the things that Satan tempts Jesus with in the desert. But Jesus humbles himself to be obedient to future glory, which involves delaying present gratification and enduring suffering and death. Jesus has rooted his identity in eternal promise that his father loves him and that his father is going to raise him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's Palm Sunday. We've got this. He, he is rooted in his identity of who God has said that he is. So it's not about the people, it's not about who he is claiming to be. It's about who God has said he is. So now we're, we're going to skip ahead to Maundy Thursday. Um, so Maundy Thursday, I have heard this term my whole life, and I never really knew what Maundy meant. But I looked it up because I thought that, that was a good thing to do. <laughs> Maundy comes from the, from the Latin word mandatum, which means command. And Maundy Thursday celebrates the washing of the disciples' feet and the last supper that Jesus has with his disciples, who are the people who have been with him the whole time. The 12 men who have been with him and participated in ministry with him, have lived with him, have been friends with him, have a very close relationship with him. Um, they eat dinner together and Jesus washes their feet. And Jesus gives them a new command at the last supper, which is to love one another as he has loved us, which is from this place of humility. So there is so much that happens in, at the Last Supper, but we're just going to focus on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So I'm going to read a, a longer chunk of scripture. Um, it'll be on the screen. Um, okay, this is from John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Okay, Judas Iscariot is one of these 12 men, one of these men who's been with him the whole time, one of his close friends, somebody that he lives with, like a close friend is about to betray him. So when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So let's go back to the, to the middle of that. There's a, there's a verse in there that says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going back to God. So God has told Jesus who he is. He is the beloved son of God. He's the king. He's the Messiah. All things are under his feet. 
And from that place, Jesus knows it, he's received it, and he chooses to serve. So a lot of times our attitudes for service come from that false definition of humility Laura talked about, Laura Campbell talked about, um, where we kind of tear ourselves down and we say, oh, we got to think less of ourselves and we got to say that we're worthless and that like that's, that's what it means to be a servant is to just think that you're terrible. And it's a lot easier to kind of talk about humility from that, that servant place where it's a lot more awkward to talk about humility from that place of celebration. But, but that position, that false humility, that is not at all what Jesus is doing here. Jesus knows his value. He doesn't wash his disciples' feet because he thinks he's trash. He does it because he loves them and he wants to. And even though he's God, he doesn't use that to his advantage. He uses it to bless us. He never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done first. So his disciples, his, his people that are around him all the time, they are constantly asking this question of who is the greatest. They're comparing each other and they're saying, well, you know, I'm better than that guy and that guy's better than that guy. And, and when you finally get into power, when you get this, this power that we think you're going to get, who's going to be at your right hand? Who's the best? And it's just this, this back and forth of like, who, who is better than who, who has more value than who. And Jesus is just not, he, he's trying to reorient their vision on that. In Matthew chapter 20, it says, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is going to the cross the next day and he knows it. He knows that he's going to the cross, but he's not going to the cross because he's torn himself down and thinks that his life is worthless, but because he looks at us and tells us that we're valuable, that the world is valuable and that the price to purchase it is high and that he's willing to pay it. So there's these parables that Jesus tells in, in Matthew. Um, there are two parables that come side by side, and, and they're the parable of the pearl and the parable of the hidden treasure in a field. And in both of these parables, the kingdom is described as something that is highly valuable. It's very precious. And the person in the parable comes across this pearl of great value, comes across this hidden treasure, and they immediately just go and sell everything that they have because they have to have it. They have to have it. And it's worth, like, they will just get, they sell everything that they have because they have to have it. It's that valuable. And it is a parable that says, you know, the kingdom of God, like, is Jesus is worth laying down everything that you have to follow him. Yes, it is absolutely saying that but it is also saying that Jesus doesn't, do, doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done first, that he saw his kingdom, he saw his people, he saw his creation, and he said, that is a pearl of great value. That's a treasure hidden in a field, and I am going to give everything that I have. I'm going to lay down everything, including my own life, so that I can obtain that, so that I can buy that. He doesn't lessen his own value, he reveals to us our great value. So let's just come at this from a different angle for a second. So we all have claims to fame. 
my claim to fame used to be this very lame story where like this professional quarterback's sister spiked a volleyball at me once. Like it was so dumb. It was a really bad, it wasn't even a story. It was, it was just something that happened. It was just like a fact, like it was nothing. But now I have a much better claim to fame story. And this is it. like claim to fame stories are the ones that you like tell at parties and you're like, look at me, I'm interesting and valuable. And don't you want to keep talking to me because I have this claim to fame. So my claim to fame is that I, I make greeting cards and I used to sell greeting cards in a shop in Cincinnati and an A-list celebrity bought one of my cards. So this, this woman who bought my card is known for her taste. She's a trendsetter. She's known for having um, a good eye for design and things that are beautiful. And so when she bought my card, she was saying like, I have all of this taste and, and I am, I'm a person that people look to, to decide whether or not things are, are beautiful and tasteful. And I chose this card and it was worth buying. So my, my street cred as a designer goes up because she who has these qualities that designers want, she bought one of, one of my things and she associated herself with me. And so I start to become like valued more as a designer because this person said that my stuff was valuable. So these are our like claim to fame stories of like, look at, look at my value because this person said, this person gave me their attention. This person maybe even looked at me for like this, this professional athlete's sister was around me for a minute and that makes me feel special. So if that's just a random person, imagine that the God of the universe didn't just buy a card from, you know, didn't spend $4 on a card that I made just because it was an impulse buy. But the God of the universe wanted me, that he's not embarrassed or ashamed to be associated with me, that he paid for me to have me in his house with his own life. He became a human person because he's not ashamed to be, be seen with us. Now, do I live in the value of that? Is that a party story that I am excited to tell? And do I receive that kind of street cred? His value is associated with me. The God of the universe is associated with me. And he said that I am valuable. He's given me the identity of Christ. And so Christ-like service comes from a heart of knowing your incredible value, not from trying to earn it and not from trying to prove it. It comes from a place of freedom and security where we can serve because we're free to, not because we have to, but because we're free to. And it is a command to serve one another and to love one another. But, but in our humility, we have this freedom and security and that can only come from something that's fixed and never changes and you can't lose. And that's what we have in our identity in Christ. Jesus didn't trust the crowds. It's not about people approving of me. It's not about me feeling like I have something to contribute that will just rock the world and the future for you know, the rest of existence. It's, it's about who Jesus says that I am and being obedient to what he tells me to do.
so we can root all of our confidence and all of our hope in his unchanging nature and character and word. And so when we come to realize this, then, then like, you know, as a church, we're like, oh my goodness, we're so valuable. Jesus says that we're valuable. So does, does that make us superior? Absolutely not. <laughs> we are not superior to anyone else because it's not about comparison. And that's what Jesus is always trying to tell his disciples. Like, stop looking at this other guy. Like, stop comparing yourself to this other person over here. Just focus on me and listen to what I'm telling you to do. So as humility grows and as we continue to focus on him and see him more clearly, that causes us to see our sin more clearly and understand new depths of our human depravity. But as we, as we realize that, how much more awe and wonder and worship will we give the Lord that he saw all of that on the cross and he sees it all now, all that depravity. He looked at me, even me, a pathetic heap of human depravity and said, I love you, come home and be transformed by my grace. The deeper we lean into humility, the more awestruck we are by God and the more we understand the depth of our sin. But God encourages us through the scriptures in Romans chapter five when he said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, we didn't deceive him into dying for us. It wasn't like he thought that we were one thing and then he died and he was like, oh man, you were sinners. I didn't know that. Like he knew he fully went in knowing that we were sinners. He chose to die for us on purpose. That's bananas. He knows the depths of our sin and he's still inviting us into relationship with him. And that blows my mind, and it should blow all of our minds. So what do we do with that? That's, that's really intense. What do we do with that? And Ruth, who is our lead pastor at Southside, Rehope, gave a really wonderful sermon as well a couple weeks ago about repentance. And repentance is the way that we respond to that. And like Ruth said, repentance is about changing direction about having remorse for the ways we've chosen our own way and submitting to the walk in the way that God commands. But the beauty is that humility makes that a joy, that when we see him for who he is, when we see that he's good and that he wants what's best for us, like a perfect parent who sets up boundaries and disciplines us and encourages us in love, that's a joy to say, I wanna do things the way that you wanna do them because I trust you. We cannot fix our own sin, and we cannot earn our goodness. And so our response is to surrender. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus and say, you are God and I am not, I am trusting you to tell me what is good and right. You get to choose my value, and you get to tell me who I am. When we do that, we come humbly knowing our sin and knowing what we deserve, but trusting that when we bow down and submit even our understanding to him, 
He actually lifts our head and says, you are my pearl of great value. You're my treasure hidden in a field. And I gave all that I had. I left my throne and became a vulnerable human and died a horrendous death because I'm showing you that you're valuable. And I'm welcoming you into my identity and giving you my spirit and my mind and a new heart. I didn't withhold anything from you on the cross. And I'm not going to withhold anything from you on the throne. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And friends, it's already here. Next Sunday is a a remembrance and a reminder of Jesus has risen from the dead. But it's true already right now. Jesus is already alive and we can live in the truth of that identity now. But we have to keep choosing it. We have to keep choosing it and keep living in the truth of our identity and value. So last week, Wade talked about the prodigal son, the, um, the parable of the lost sons. And we have the father who loves both of his sons and continues to humble himself by going out to both of his sons. The younger son has said, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. And he goes away and spends it all. And the older son is saying, oh, I'm so frustrated. Why won't my father give me these things? And I'm trying to work really hard to prove that I'm worthy of this. And the father continues to invite them in. And the younger son recognizes that he doesn't deserve to be back on the property. And he asks to be a servant. When the father responds by restoring him to sonship and wrapping him in a robe and throwing a party, the son doesn't shake off the robe and go, ooh, no, 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 thank you. I'll just be a servant. That makes me really uncomfortable. No, thanks. No, he receives it. He accepts it and he lives in the reality of it as he returns home and to his place in the family. Meanwhile, the older son is still trying to earn that place. He already has it, but he's still trying to earn it. And he's questioning his value. Even when his father comes out to him, he's saying, do you like my brother better than you like me? Like he's, he's stuck in that comparison and that, that insecurity of, of who am I and am I valuable? And the father continues to invite him and tells him his value and his identity. Just come be with me. Just come be with me. And the older son has to decide if he's going to receive the invitation into his father's house to rest and celebrate in relationship with the one who loves him. But not receiving that doesn't make it any less true. So the, the older son isn't any less valuable because he doesn't believe it. He's just trying to earn something that he already has instead of humbling himself to receive what the father is freely given. He's not living in the reality of the truth. And so we get to decide that too. As we think about serving others and contributing during this season, we can ask Jesus where we're not living in the reality of our identity in Christ and where we're still trying to prove ourselves to God or to people or to ourselves And let's hold each other accountable and remind each other to receive encouragement of our value um, as we speak that to one another and give glory to God and say, thank you. We want to follow Jesus to use our understanding of our, our value of God's immeasurable mercy and grace to reveal to others their value and treat them with grace and mercy. So we follow Jesus's example of knowing that Jesus has said we are valuable and that he loves us and has given us new life. And from that place, we choose with joy to serve those around us. It's not to diminish our own value, 
It's to follow Jesus in communicating the value and the dignity of every person that we encounter. Because Jesus has said that every person was worth the cost of his own life. And we use that increasing understanding of our own value to treat others as treasures and pearls of great value. We aren't glorifying ourselves when we live in the identity of Christ. We're glorifying him. Jesus wasn't glorifying himself in the triumphal entry. God was glorifying him. And he was glorifying God by submitting to God, saying, yeah, I am who you say I am. So we are submitting to him in humility, saying, you get to say who I am. You get to tell me how much I'm worth, and I get to praise you for it. So friends, Jesus tells us the kingdom is worth selling all that he has to go and obtain it. But he proves it when he chose to buy us at a great price because he loves us and calls us valuable. So let's submit to him and praise him for that. Um, So I've got a couple questions and action points that I'm going to ask you to think about this week. The first one is thinking, what would be different about the way that I go about my life if I truly believed who I am and how much I'm worth? is fixed and unchanging. If I really believed that I was a pearl of great value and a treasure hidden in a field, how would that change the way that I I communicate to other people and serve other people? And secondly, ask God how he's inviting you to trust who he says you are in Jesus. Um, If you haven't submitted to Jesus, if you haven't given him your life or you wanna recommit yourself, um, I just thought I'd say a little prayer And um, you can just say it quietly to yourself, but I just thought I'd pray pray over us at the end of this message, and and then I'll hand it over to Alan and Grace. Um, But um, yeah, Father, Jesus, Jesus, you are the Savior. You are the Messiah. And I'm sorry that I don't treat myself and others with the high value that you tell me that I have. And I disregard the high price that you paid for me. I submit myself, even my understanding of my own identity to you. Show me what you think about me and help that to humble me in awe and wonder. Empower me by the Holy Spirit to turn from fear and insecurity and turn to your truth in obedience. Amen.